This show is made possible by our members. For details and to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, Counterspin, and The Colbert Report with a bonus video clip today for our iPhone app users from The Young Turks. For a segment, we call back and black. Arizona's new immigration law has a lot of people outraged. Some people more than others. Some have likened having to carry papers around to Nazi Germany. Oh, that's a little bit of a hyperbole to compare Arizona to Nazi Germany. First of all, Nazi Germany had a much nicer climate. <laughs> but now all this outrage has people outraged at the outrage. You're out of your mind. Are you comparing the systematic, cold-blooded extermination of millions of Jews to America making sure that people are here legally? Arizona sure is putting the AZ in Nazi, aren't they? Oh. <laughs> Didn't think it was going to be him, did ya? <laughs> Glenn Beck is offended. Glenn Beck thinks playing the Nazi card is going too far. Glenn Beck! <laughs> this is a guy who uses more swastika props and video of the Nuremberg rallies than the History Channel. For God's sake! <laughs> God's sake, he compared global warming to Nazi Germany. That was Hitler's plan. His enemy, the Jew. Al Gore's enemy, the UN's enemy, global warming. I'm not accusing Al Gore of being a Nazi or anything like that. Yes, you are! You just did it! Note to Glenn Beck. I've met Al Gore. Al Gore is no Adolf Hitler. Hitler had charisma. <laughs> All Glenn Beck needs is a single word to send him into a Nazi tizzy, especially when it comes from President Obama talking about his Supreme Court justice. I view that quality of empathy, of understanding and identifying with people's hopes and struggles as an essential ingredient for arriving at just decisions and outcomes. Did you catch it? Neither did I. But guess who did? Hitler decided that it was the only empathetic thing to do is to put this child down and put him out of his suffering. It was the beginning of the T4, which led to genocide uh, everywhere. It was the beginning of it. Empathy leads you to very bad decisions many times. In one paragraph, Glenn Beck tied one of the most positive words in the English language to Hitler's genocide. It's six degrees of Kevin Bacon, except there's just one degree, and Kevin Bacon is Hitler. Oh, can I play? Let's see. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa had a mustache. Hitler had a mustache. Mother Teresa is Hitler! This is easy. And it works for anything. The National Endowment for the Arts. Advocating through art is known as propaganda. Mm, you should look up the name Goebbels. Oh. 
teaching kids about climate change. Some may believe we're on the road to the Hitler Youth. Acorn. These are the brown shirts. Tarp. It's what happened in the National Socialist uh, country of Germany in the 1930s under Hitler. The Peace Corps. Seriously, the Peace Corps. This is what Hitler did with the SS. Glenn Beck has Nazi Tourette's. My. My goodness, this is delicious. Hitler! That's a lovely tie you're wearing, John. Oh, thank you very you're much. <laughs> I'll give Glenn Beck this. He's got style. He can even make a paranoid Nazi comparison using poetry. You ever heard the old poem, first they came for the Jews? Well, first they came for the, first they came for the banks, then it was the insurance companies, then it was the car companies. Glenn, get a grip. There's a difference. They came for the Jews to kill them. They came for the banks and the car companies to give them $700 billion. If, if that's coming for them, then come for me. Hell, for $700 billion, I'll go to you. Unless it's not me they're after. Gee, I wonder who they could be after. First they came for the Jews and I stayed silent. Next I'll show you the very latest attacks on me. Yes. Glenn, the Nazis are everywhere. And you're not safe. So here's what you do and take it from me. My people have been through this before. First, you gotta find an attic. Then hide there for the next three years. And whatever you do, don't make a sound. We'll, we'll let you know when it's safe to come out. But I better be quiet now. Tired, wasting my breath. Carrying on, getting upset. Maybe I have a problem, but that's not what I wanted to say. I prefer to say nothing. I got a long way to go. I'm getting further away. I think the Democrats continue on almost all of the issues to underestimate how much conservative media, whether it's Fox News or Rush Limbaugh or all those things, and how much they influence the rest of the media to, uh, to influence Americans. I think they're grossly underestimating their influence. I mean, it spreads like that disinformation, misinformation that's done on purpose spreads like a virus throughout the country. And you got to stop the virus. You got to have an antivirus. And they don't have one. And the, the reality is they do have one, but they're just not using it. The bully pulpit it has enormous power. If Obama comes out and says something, not just once in passing, but makes a point of saying something once, twice, three times, 
Believe me, every major paper and media organization in the country will cover it. If he says, look, I'm going to insist on this, okay, you're getting this wrong. Either the papers are getting this wrong, or the polls are wrong, or the, or the American people fundamentally misunderstand this, and I'm going to correct it, okay? They will cover the living hell out of that. You've got that weapon in your back pocket. You need to use it a hell of a lot more than you do, because if you don't, you wind up losing these information battles when, you know, based on total lies. Today, but look, sometimes it's so brazen that uh, the mainstream media catches on to it. Uh, remember yesterday we did the big thing about Bill O'Reilly's lie on, nobody on Fox has ever said that you'd go to jail if you didn't pay your fine. Uh, and of course there's a provision in the bill that says you absolutely positively will never go to jail even if you don't pay your fine about how over this, right? It's, this, it's There's a provision in the bill that specifically says that, right? So when Coburn said to him, hey, you know, people hear it on Fox News, he said, no, 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 it never happens. And then we showed you yesterday, what was it, four clips of Beck, Napolitano, Hannity, their guests, and Bill O'Reilly all saying you'll go to prison. Uh, Time Magazine, great article. That's two for two on Time Magazine, two, two days in a row where they've had really nice articles. Um, again, fairly courageously pointing out, I love that this is courageous when you quote them and point out things that are obviously true. But in the mainstream media, that is courageous. So they say, yeah, look, here, here's what O'Reilly said, and then here appears to be overwhelming evidence to the contrary. And they even found a couple of uh, quotes that we didn't have. So at least half a dozen times that different programs on Fox News went and said, oh, yeah, they're going to put you in jail if you don't pay your fine. Oh, it's a mandate, and if you don't pay it, that's it. You're going to jail. So... Uh, but that's what you got to do. You got to fight back. And you know, by the way, the people who led that fight, funny enough, fight, wasn't Obama, wasn't the Democrats. It was Tom Coburn, the Republican from Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, Coburn didn't go and find the clips we did and other people did, right? But, but at least Coburn was willing to challenge him on it. First of all, I was glad to see that Brian Williams managed to find a few minutes between 30 Rock cameos to sit behind the news desk. Unfortunately, the average episode of 30 Rock has more actual information than the nightly news, so we still got screwed on this one. A year and a half has passed since those dicey days when it looked like the entire global economy might somehow melt down. Tonight on Capitol Hill, lawmakers are hashing out their response with a key vote on a financial regulatory reform bill and a hearing tomorrow on the conduct of one of the big Wall Street banks at the center of it all. Our own Kelly O'Donnell has details tonight from the Capitol. Kelly, good evening. Okay, so what we what we know so far is really nothing. 
He told us how long ago the financial crisis happened. He, it, It's pretty. He's got a nice-sounding voice. I like to hear him tell stories, but there's not much content in his stories. I don't know. You ever get the feeling that when Brian Williams saw broadcast news, he was rooting for the William Hurt character? Good evening, Brian. And tonight, the president says he is deeply disappointed. Republicans blocked the first step toward financial regulatory reform. Now, Senate Democrats actually scheduled the vote knowing they lose, and they did, because they see it as a political win. Better able to paint Republicans as too friendly with Wall Street. Tonight, both Democrats and Republicans claim public frustration is on their side. A party that stands with Wall Street is a party that stands against families and against fairness. The Democrats want us to trust them on this one. With all respect, Americans aren't in a trusting mood. And let me stop it right there, because as usual, all TV news cares about is the horse race. They're obsessed with two things. Number one, telling you who's scoring more political points. And number two, maintaining the false equivalency between Democrats and Republicans. And that's the insanity of all this. All they want to do is talk about who's winning. But they they ignore the actual facts and leave you with the impression that nobody's winning. I mean, this is the craziest way to report stuff. They never talk about what actually is happening. They're only talking about the horse race. In fact, I submit to you this horse racing analogy. Imagine you were listening to an actual horse race on the radio, and the announcer says, They're off and running, sticky fingers in the neck and neck with Little Miss Gravy, who's neck and neck with whistling underwear. And down the stretch they come at the finish line, it's dead heat between sticky fingers, Little Miss Gravy, and whistling underwear. Sounds pretty exciting, right? Yeah, until you found out later that sticky fingers broke his leg right out of the gate. And whistling underwear is actually a greyhound running over at a dog track. And folks, that's TV news in a nutshell. Okay, now back to this amazingly uninformative report. The divide is over new rules for Wall Street, just as outrage over the old way of doing business gets magnified. Top executives at Wall Street giant Goldman Sachs will appear on Capitol Hill tomorrow. Democratic Senator Carl Levin says Goldman Sachs put profit ahead of its own customers. Goldman Sachs put profit ahead of its own customers. I'm shocked. Shocked. Hey, come on, you lefty liberals. Goldman Sachs ain't no charity. They exist to make a profit. End of story. And they will make their profit by any means necessary. Hey, fish gotta swim, banks gotta skim. Come on. They were specifically betting against the securities that they were selling. I would like, hopefully, them to acknowledge that they did that. The Securities and Exchange Commission has accused Goldman Sachs of fraud. The firm calls the charges completely unfounded. And I guess it's too much to hope for Kelly O'Donnell to actually do some digging about whether Goldman broke any laws or not. You know, do some reporting. Nope, she's clearly waiting to hear what the CEO's testimony from Goldman Sachs will be tomorrow in Congress. And if he says we didn't break any laws, she'll report that as fact. And if he says, yeah, we broke a few laws, then, well, you should hop on the next train back from Fantasyland because these guys cop to wrongdoing about as easily and as often as Dick Cheney. But no, she just tells us that Goldman calls the charges completely unfounded. 
Come on, Goldman, completely unfounded. You're telling me they're not at all founded, not even a little bit. I don't know. I'm no I'm no financial genius, but I think the Chargers might be just a teeny tiny bit founded. With Goldman on the hot seat tomorrow, Democrats see an urgency to push reform that they say could prevent another collapse. Well, would the reforms they're pushing prevent another collapse or not, Kelly? Um, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to the report. Not just big banks and financial firms, Congress wants consumers to feel changes too. A new consumer protection agency to stop deceptive practices and hidden fees on your home mortgage, car loans, and credit cards. No more taxpayer bailouts. Democrats claim their plan would give regulators new power to prevent any firm from threatening the whole economy by becoming too big to fail. Well, would their plan actually keep the banks from being too big to fail? Would their plan actually put a regulator in charge? Would that stuff actually happen? I guess we'll never know because Kelly, all she can do is tell us what the Democrats say. She can't actually report and find out for herself or maybe even check a source. Okay, and now for the capper. She's about to rattle off a bunch of context-free bullet points about what this proposed legislation is going to do. What does any of it mean? Your guess is about as good as mine. And you can tell NBC doesn't really want you to understand it either because instead of explaining it, they just kind of show it to you as flashy as possible with graphics. You know, I know that you can't see this over the radio, but Kelly delivers these bullet points along with a series of animated graphics like you wouldn't believe. It looks like a Japanese game show produced by James Cameron. They got line graphs and stock tickers and cash clip art. and I mean, this stuff is flying all around the screen, blinking like a 10-year-old girl's MySpace page. And you know what? It's about every bit as informative, too. Changes include firms would need more cash available with limits on risk. The government could step in and take apart firms that get into trouble. Regulators get new authority over derivatives, bets investors make on the future value of goods. And to take more control over risks, major banks that trade those derivatives could be forced to spin off that part of their business. Okay, now here comes the home stretch of NBC's nightly news with Brian Williams' coverage of this financial crisis and Congress's attempt to do something into, about it. And Brian, we've obtained an advanced copy of what the CEO of Goldman plans to tell the Senate committee tomorrow. And Lloyd Blankfein will say that his company did not bet against its own clients. And he'll also say that the firm would support tighter restrictions that Congress is considering for Wall Street. Brian? Kelly O'Donnell on the Hill tonight. Kelly, thanks. Well, I think it really shows why the public is so stupid about everything. Here he is, America's newsman, Brian Williams, and his crew telling us absolutely nothing about what is actually happening, not even providing the proper context or framing of what is going on. And then he throws it to a reporter who's never even heard of a fact. She might as well be saying, you know, I don't have relevant facts or anything, but I do have lots of stuff that the Democrats and the Republicans have said that I'll repeat to you now. And then I'll repeat something from the banker guy, too, then later. As if there are two sides, as if there are two legitimate sides to the financial reform issue. 
Yeah, there are. There's the first side is the side that wants common sense regulation and that puts back in place all the regulations that safeguarded our economy since the Great Depression until they repealed them in 1999-2000. Unfortunately, that side doesn't have a political party representing them right now. And then there's the other side. That's the side working in the interest of the big banks. And they don't really want to really fix the problems that led us to this point of a collapsing economy, but instead want to make cosmetic changes, but basically still allow the banks to keep doing what they've been doing all along and remaining too big to fail. Those people are known as Democrats and Republicans. And unfortunately, neither this report nor this reporter does anything to clear up anything anything or give me relevant information about the pending financial reform or anything about it or why it's being held up in Congress and who's for it and who's against it. Oh, what sort of information? How about, how about it for starters? Why don't she, why doesn't she tell us what too big to fails means? How about that? And, and, and what makes them that way? And how, did, how are they allowed to get that way? And then how about telling us who's in favor of ending it and who is it and why? And how about telling us what is actually in the bill? And why are the Republicans filibustering, even allowing debate of it in the Senate? But no, she'd rather report it like a soap opera, never giving relevant facts. Not only was I not informed, but I swear to God, it felt like I was somehow having information erased from my brain listening to that report. I felt like I was actually less knowledgeable about the subject after the report than before. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Uh, yesterday, I'm, uh, I'm having my usual afternoon. Uh, down at the orphanage, I was making soup and darning clothes. <laughs> Fox News is on in the kids' day room, and uh, <laughs> I see this. Tonight, Stewart slams Fox again. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Go f yourselves. Now, Bernie Goldberg fires back at the funny man. Don't miss an explosive O'Reilly tonight. I was like, oh, man, that funny man is screwed. And, and then I was like, wait, that's me. <laughs> I don't want to be fired back at you see, funny story. Uh, last week, I mentioned Fox was upset about the media generalizing who the Tea Parties are, and I agree with them. And I may have at that point then shown some of the very same people at Fox uh, giddily generalizing about liberals and the left. And I might have, when presented with this rather bald hypocrisy, I may have told them to go themselves. <laughs> And now they want to respond. <laughs> All right, what did Bernie Goldberg have to say about me? So does Stewart have a point here? Are we being hypocritical by generalizing about some people? I'll just speak about me. 
He does. I am pleading guilty, and that's a sincere plea of guilty. You're welcome. <laughs> I win again. But let me speak directly to Jon Stewart for just a few seconds, and I know he watches, he's a big fan of the show. I watch it every night with all my friends. <laughs> Continue, Mr. Goldberg. If you just want to be a funny man who talks to an audience that will laugh at anything you say, that's okay with me, no problem. But if clearly you want to be a social commentator more than just a comedian, and if you want to be a good one, you better find some guts. Okay, two things. <laughs> One, not all of us have your guts, Bernie. <laughs> it takes a tough man to walk into O'Reilly's lion's den and criticize liberal elites. <laughs> and two, to say that comedians have to decide whether they're comedians or social commentators, uh, comedians do social commentary through comedy. <laughs> That's how it's worked for thousands of years. I, I have not moved out of the comedian's box into the news box. The news box is moving towards me. But I assume I'm just doing what idiots like me have done for thousands of years. But I assume that you have evidence that I've betrayed my craft. When you had Frank Rich on your show, who generalizes all the time about conservatives and Republicans being bigots, you didn't ask him a single tough question. You gave him a lap dance. You practically had your tongue down his throat. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Was that televised? Uh, I don't want to say anything, but uh, Frank Rich hasn't been on the show since 2006. <laughs> I mean, since I gave Frank Rich that lap dance, I don't know if you noticed, but I went back in the champagne room with Bill Crystal like five times. <laughs> and if you watch this show, as it appears you have, you must remember me and McCain <laughs> like bunnies. <laughs> but I guess that's besides the point. Here's the point. You can't criticize me for not being fair and balanced. That's your slogan. Which, by the way, you never follow. Which brings us back to the essence of the whole go yourselves piece. Guess what? You're not nearly as edgy as you think you are. You're just a safe Jay Leno with a much smaller audience, but you get to say the F-bomb. Okay, that's gonna leave a mark. Yeah. Okay, that one stung. I'm not gonna lie on that one. I took that one right in the testicles. That was... Look, again, two things. Whoever said I was edgy? I never said I was edgy. I never thought I was edgy. And number two, if you think I'm Leno with the F-bomb, you know less about comedy than you do about media and politics. This is Leno with the F-bomb. Look, I mean, can you believe this? It's a, it's a typo. Circus judge? What kind of Make that kind of mistake. Goddamn second stick. You hear me with the f bones? I can't stop myself. 
No wonder primetime couldn't handle him. You're just a safe Jay Leno with a much smaller audience, but you get to say the F-bomb, which gives your incredibly unsophisticated audience the illusion. <laughs> you're generalizing. The illusion that you're courageous and that you're renegade, but it's only an illusion. I, wait, wait! I'm not a courageous renegade, but I've always considered myself the Lorenzo Lamas of late night. And as far as my audience being unsophisticated... Balderdash! Wait, I'm sorry, who said that? It is I, your biggest fan, Toppington Von Monocle. Unsophisticated? How dare he? If I may quote Catalis, Pedicabo ego vas et irimabo. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Von Monocle, I, I don't speak Latin. It means I will sodomize you and face you. By the way, I thought my audience was elitist. Are they elitist or unsophisticated? Or unsophisticated in their elitism. Look, I'm sorry I told you to go yourself last week. And that other time, like six months ago, I told you to go I know that I criticize you and Fox News a lot, but only because you're truly a terrible, cynical, disingenuous news organization. Oh, wait, no, you know what? That's, no. That's the wrong approach. That's the wrong approach. That's not, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to be confrontational. I want to take a minute to talk directly to Bernie Goldberg. <laughs> baby, I don't want to fight, baby. And I know you've been hurt before by them liberal elites. They done you wrong, Bernie. <laughs> don't let that close your heart, brother. I don't hate you. I mean, you're not Dick Morris. Yeah, what is wrong with that guy? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> He's starting to look like that guy from Men in Black. <laughs> Which one? You know from the first one, the guy who came down and walked around in other people's skin. What, Shalhoub? You talking no. about? No. Oh, oh, oh uh, the Vincent D'Onofrio guy. That's the one. Yeah, that's right, okay. <laughs> you see, I've learned people are complicated, Bernie, and hard to categorize. I mean, I've got some conservative views. He's a pro-military mother peace to the troops i've got some libertarian views legalize it gay marriage uh-huh pot uh-huh gay pot marriage now you make and i know that i can be intolerant lactose and otherwise don't let this man eat any blisses and i believe this country should provide some kind of social safety net for our most vulnerable citizens communists <laughs> And I also believe power should be passed down to the firstborn son of the reigning king. Monarchist. And I believe in ghosts. Boo! <laughs> but I will tell you this, Bernie Goldberg. Oh, Bernie Goldberg, I will tell you this, tell you Bernie Goldberg. Goldberg. That's the editing. Not funny. I try to be funny. Why don't you watch the movie? I don't have time to watch all the guest movies. My point is this. He's got a point now. He's got a point now.
to that perceived threat. You're like an autoimmune disorder. I'm not saying the virus doesn't exist in some small quantity, but you're producing way too many antibodies. Fox News, you're the lupus of news. Megyn Kelly is, uh, of course, a host for Fox News. She's going to have Josh Silver on, um, as well as uh, Jim Harper of the Cato Institute. Jim Harper is a theoretical libertarian. Um, in fact, of course, he's a shill for corporate America. Uh, Josh Silver is in favor of net neutrality. Now, net neutrality says that uh, corporations uh, that lay the cable for your Internet cannot discriminate and say, all right, I'm going to slow this site down or I'm going to speed this site up or, uh, and I, or I'm going to give a tremendous advantage to my own site and disadvantage the other sites. It's a good thing that protects the Internet. Now, watch Fox News flip that on its head. Let's go to clip number two. Well, a lot of folks worry that the federal government is trying to control more and more of our lives. Now Uncle Sam is pushing to exert more control over the Internet. Is that something we really want? Jim Harper is director of information studies for the Cato Institute. He's against more government regulation. And Josh Silver is the president and CEO of freepress.net. 
He supports new regulations. All right, gentlemen, thanks so much for standing by. Jim, let me start with you. Uh, the, so so the, the Obama administration has just made, they're pushing, they're pushing to get more control over the Internet. And, you know, this plays into some people's fears that the Obama administration is getting bigger by the day. And before he's done, he's going to have his hands in too many aspects of Americans' business. Is there a point? Well, yeah, the Federal Communication Commission announced last week that it was going to attempt to regulate the Internet under a set of rules that were devised for the old telephone system. The Internet's thrived under, under the freedom that we have. Net neutrality, which is the, the buzzword for what we're talking about, that's a good engineering principle, but I think the last thing we want to do is give control of net neutrality, give control of the, of the engineering of the Internet to the lawyers and bureaucrats at the FCC. Well, the problem, Megan, all due respect, the lead-in's not right. Actually, net neutrality will have the opposite effect of what you're saying. Net neutrality is the law that's not a, to regulate the Internet, to regulate the giant companies that provide it, Comcast, AT&T, Verizon. Net neutrality simply says those companies can't censor content. Wait, but let me stop you because nobody knows content. what net neutrality is. You already lost a lot of our viewers. I want to keep it to, to the point where they can understand. Basically, what has happened is a, is a, is a, a court came down and told the Obama administration, you can't get involved in regulating the Internet, and now they've, they've found a way to, to do it. Is, I mean, do I no, misstate no. the case? Yeah, you did misstate it. Here's okay. how it worked. Under the Bush administration, the FCC made a decision that made it much harder for it to regulate the Internet providers like Comcast and AT&T. Okay. The court then said, because of what the Bush administration did, now, FCC, you don't have authority anymore. Now, our FCC needs to simply make a move so that they can then keep the big companies from censoring content on the web. This is not about government takeover of the Internet, and it never was. Is That's that right, Jim? Because everything I've read about this says this is a push, this is the beginnings of a push by the Obama administration to control the Internet to some extent, more so than they had in the past. No. Well, I guess Josh is from the glass half-empty school uh, where uh, anything that's unregulated is not protected. In fact, we, have, we do have large companies that are Internet service providers, but what we need to do to protect ourselves is be active consumers, for one, but also have more competition among Internet service providers. All right, come on. That was just precious Fox News, classic Fox News. Everything I've read says that uh, the Obama administration is wrong uh, and that they're overregulating in big government. Uh, they mentioned five different times I kept count of either big government or government regulation. Oh, this looks like the government regulating the Internet. You see, there's the trick. Okay, the, as Josh was trying to explain, no, the government would be regulating the Internet providers to make sure that they don't regulate the Internet. The government is not regulating the Internet. They're not coming in and saying, uh, I don't like the YoungTurks.com, I'm going to regulate that, and, uh, but I, I do like this site and I don't like that site, etc. No, the government isn't doing any of that. In fact, the exact opposite is happening. They're preventing Comcast, Verizon, and AT&T from regulating the Internet. But Fox News turns that on its head and goes, come on, economic freedom, and, you know, the, this is what we need, and uh, if I guess, oh, big government, Obama, come on, just trust the companies. The companies will do it right. If you get your information from Fox News, you are literally not just misinformed, but ignorant of what's happening, because you didn't get the news. You got propaganda instead. That's not supposed to go. Hi everyone, I know you know by now that the members are absolutely the lifeblood of this show. In return for their support, I've been able to increase the schedule to 10 episodes per month. And this means that the members now are only paying 50 cents per episode to keep the show going. Now, if everyone within the sound of my voice sent in just 25 cents a month, 
that would be enough. But in reality, we all know that's not going to happen. So just know that when you sign up for a membership at just five bucks a month, you're actually supporting the show for yourself and 20 other people who maybe can't afford to pay. So in return, you actually have my gratitude and the gratitude of all of those who benefit from the service this show provides. For details on membership, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. It's unreachable. Best-selling author and the editor of Newsweek magazine is now also the co-host of a new public affairs and news program on PBS called Need to Know. Please welcome back to the program, John Meacham. Come and join us. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for joining us. It's been a great day. Oh, man. So this is, it, it has been a, a terrible day in Newsweek. Washington Post, the company that owns you. Since 1961. Since 1961, and Newsweek's been around since what, 33? 1933. Uh, it, was a good, it was a good year to begin a business enterprise. Yes, no, 1933 was the perfect time. <laughs> it just took loved, a while to work out that way. People yeah. loved rolling them up and burning them for heat. <laughs> uh, uh, how do they let you know? Is this down the pipeline? Do you, do you come in in the morning, it's a typical day, editorial meeting, and you get a phone call, hey man, I just wanted to let you know uh, we're selling you. No, it's, it's not quite broadcast news, no. All it's right. um, found out uh, fairly recently, and the owner, Donald Graham, a uh, marvelous man who has run the Washington Post Company, uh, son of Catherine Graham, Philip Graham. Uh, Philip Graham's the man who coined the phrase that journalism is the first rough draft of history. And, and we, invented uh, the terrific crackers that we enjoy. Yeah, well, that is. <laughs> And he was a hell of a senator from Texas, Absolutely. as you might recall. Um, uh, he had been printed by journalism first rough draft of history, and when we got things wrong in the old days, Mrs. Graham would call up and say, but it doesn't have to be quite so rough. Uh, <laughs> so that was always a call you didn't want. No. But uh, it's a rational economic decision. We live in an era in which all print based media are uh, not exactly rolling in cash, to say the least. Here's the thing. It's not a Newsweek problem, is what you're suggesting. It is a it is a media problem. And doesn't that get us to the larger issue? Who is going to be doing the reporting? Because well, if we're all aggregators, if we're all commenting, if we're all analyzing, who exactly is going to be doing the reporting? Or will the aggregators make so much money that they will have, will they become the new uh, uh, grams? I don't see a lot of aggregators buying yachts. Yet and so that Ram, part. Graham's got a yacht. No, 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 no. I just don't see what. Uh, there's not a great model straightforward. Let me say very quickly. I do not believe that Newsweek is the only catcher in the rye between democracy and ignorance. But I think we're one of them, and I don't think there are that many on the edge of that cliff. And and what America has. To, what America has to decide. What do the American people want? The Ameri <laughs> American people are smart people, they're fair people. Uh, we have to decide, are we ready to get what we pay for? And if you're not gonna pay for news, then you're gonna get a different kind of news. Full stop. This Who's is making money in the magazine business right now who does what you do? Who is a successful model the of what? The Economist. The Economist. What, now, what do they do? They have a very, they've been going since Walter Badgett, uh, who founded it. He was a political philosopher in the mid-Victorian years, and which was good for subscriptions when he said, you know, we're going to be the voice of mid-Victorian England. You're like a personal Wikipedia. You're like, 
Which is going to be good because I'm looking for work. No, it's great. Um, <laughs> I'll just call you up on the phone. I'll give you two dollars if you could tell me who Walter Badgett is. Do they still, do they still have those helplines on those game right, exactly. shows? You could be the guy on Millionaire. You could be that the phone a friend. Right? That's got to be something. Do they still have that? Uh, they must. They must have that. Well, I, first of all, let me say this. Uh, I know what a difficult time it is in, in the media world and, and what really terrific people uh, you have at Newsweek. And I've met many of them and they're yeah. smart and intelligent. And George Will is, is at Newsweek. And if you are selling... Uh, I can't necessarily buy him, but I wouldn't mind renting him for just a weekend. Okay. He does birthday parties. I'd love that. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I'm, I'm sorry for the troubles that are gone away there, and, and it does seem that you're just caught in the middle, not necessarily of this idea that people uh, no longer want something standing between ignorance and democracy, but just that it feels like the, you're, it's, it's like the guys in the horse carriage industry to some extent. You're like, it's a good product, it goes, but it's no longer part of of the world now that people There's consume a, in terms of media. But there is a, what I call the virtual beltway. There is a audience there. They watch your show. What? They, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, they don't admit it probably, but they do. Um, they buy hardback books. They read more than one magazine. They probably watch one of the Sunday shows. I mean, they have to be engaged in the news, probably online, to watch your show because you can't understand satire if you don't know what's being satirized. What I think what I'm saying, though, is, is the weekly aspect of it. But Aren't people, do they have the patience anymore to wait a week for analysis and commentary that they've, they're already submerged in in an online community? Here's what I suspect the future is. It is that we have had it backwards, which is that we produce a magazine all week, we close it Friday and Saturday, and it begins to go out online with our, where the heart of the operation has been. We have Newsweek.com every day, and, but taking 77 years that the emphasis has been on the print, it's probably time to flip that, in which you are solely focused on the digital, and by the end of the week, you take the best of. And for people who want to hold a magazine in their hands, and there are people who mm -hmm. can still do that, uh, who don't just drop it in their tapioca, I promise, uh, who will... You're alienating your demographic. We blew up that bridge a long time ago. Um, then you get, uh, you have to focus on the advertising, and right. you have to be able to say, these are people, these are the... Daily Show viewers, these are book people, these are influential people who look at this content, no matter where it is, whether it's iPad or right. online or in the magazine, and this is an audience you want to reach, dear advertiser. And that's two-thirds or more of, of the revenue. This is an existential crisis, and it's not just because I've had a bad day, right. and it's not just because I feel incredibly strongly that this magazine for 77 years and unto this hour, I believe, has mattered to the life of the country and is one of the very few common denominators in a fragmented world. We may not always get it right. We may screw up. We may not be worth looking at one week or another. But by and large, taken all in all, I think we win more than we lose. And I think the country will be poorer for our disappearing. And the good news is we did not close today. We went up for sale. Right. And I'll be over in the morning with the perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate your passion. And, and...
let's hope it's not existential. Let's hope it's transitional and that it's just the same thing in, a, in another environment. Uh, also, Need to Know debuts May 7th on PBS at 8.30 p.m. John Meacham. Sachs is accused by the SEC of misleading investors on complex mortgage securities they knew would become toxic, reaping billions at clients' expense and contributing to the disastrous housing bubble. But those familiar with corporate media knew there was little danger the company would go undefended in the press. So it's no real surprise to find Fareed Zakaria, for example, in a column published in the Washington Post and in the Post-owned Newsweek, suggesting that rather than think about, say, the real people hurt by Goldman's gamesmanship, we should instead consider our own blame for the situation. The rage at Goldman, Zakaria pontificates, quote, can cloud our perspective and distort our public policy. We're going through a familiar part of America's boom and bust cycle. Having been mesmerized during the go-go years, having unduly lionized and feted industries, firms, and people as they rode the wave, we now want to throw these people to the wolves, close quote. Sorry, Fareed Zakaria, we didn't do anything of the kind, though you and your corporate media colleagues certainly did. Talk about a clouded and narrow perspective. I'm walking on the southern stream, got to the river for a run too low. I'm walking on the southern stream, got to the river for a run too low. Speaking of Fox, I'm a huge fan of Glenn Beck. I watch his show, I listen to his program, I even use his cologne, Patriot Tears. You just spray it directly in your eyes. Oh, oh, oh I love my country. Oh, oh. And my eyeballs smell great. <laughs> now, I haven't talked about the Pillsbury Dough Pundit lately, because when it comes to talking about Glenn Beck, no one can compete with Glenn Beck. I was watching the Glenn Beck show. The Glenn Beck effect. Glenn Beck, you gotta, you gotta stop him from saying, oh, that Glenn Beck guy, he just wants to slaughter people. Why is Glenn Beck at 5 o'clock in the afternoon 
because his audience goes to bed at six. <laughs> but I gotta say, as a Glenn fan, or Beckerhead, as we're called, I cannot hold off any longer because the work Glenn is doing right now is too important. And that's not just me talking, that's still Glenn Beck. I was uh, in the Vatican. And I was surprised that the individual that I was speaking to even knew who I was. And they said, of course we know who you are. What you're doing is wildly important. An individual at the Vatican? Glenn, don't be so humble. Everybody knows the Pope is a fan. Just look at how he addressed the pedophile scandal. And what? Just what is this wildly important work Glenn is doing? It's his new book called The Plan, in which Glenn says he will lay out his 100-year plan that will provide specific policies, principles, and most importantly, action steps that each of us can take to play a role in America's refounding. Yes, refounding. Glenn loves our country so much, he wants to tear it down and rebuild it. Maybe with more bathrooms and a skylight. But here's the problem. Glenn has this wildly important, Vatican-approved, 100-year plan for America, but who's gonna follow a guy who described himself as a rodeo clown? I assume because both Glenn and a rodeo clown are so comfortable working with bull Well, I guess... Guess what, everybody? It's not Glenn's plan. Whose plan is it, Glenn? God is giving a plan, I think, to me. That's right. God is speaking to Glenn Beck! Okay, Jimmy, Jimmy, stop, stop, stop. I got some God in my eye. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh. Oh, uh, that is refreshing. Oh. Well, folks, I'm a believer. Because if Glenn isn't a prophet, why is he always speaking in tongues? Who's got... <laughs> I did not... Uh-oh. Because <laughs> we... I didn't... Woo. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> and... It would certainly explain why my Glenn Beck icon has begun weeping blood. <laughs> These are on sale in the lobby, by the way. So, Glenn is receiving God's plan. And what exactly is that plan? God is giving a plan, I think, to me. That is not really a plan. Okay. But what wildly important action steps can we Americans take to realize God's non-plan plan? The plan that he would have me articulate, I think, to you, is get behind me. And I don't mean me. I mean him. Get behind me. Of course, by me, Glenn means him, God, who is giving a plan to him, by which he means Glenn, not God. 
You know what? Let's just call him Glod. <laughs> the question is, the question is, where and when do we kneel before Glod? <laughs> well, there is a plan for that on Glenn's website. On August 28th, 2010, I ask you, your family, and neighbors to join me at the feet of Abraham Lincoln on the National Mall for the unveiling of the plan. <laughs> August 28th at the Lincoln Memorial? What's the significance of that time and place? I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Oh. My. <laughs> God. <laughs> It's the exact date and location of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. You know what? That has got to be a mistake. I just can't believe Glenn has made that connection. I have a dream today. I have a dream. I have a dream. I have a dream where white and black children can play together, live together. Holy <laughs> Can a self-described entertainer Really go from rodeo clown to Martin Luther King by August 28th? Let's find out. Boys, bring it out. I, uh... I borrowed this from The Price is Right. I call it Glenn to the Mountaintop. Here's how you play. Every time Glenn says something that's King-like, he moves away from being rodeo clown towards the mountaintop with Martin Luther King. Jimmy, let's play. Martin Luther King, he then made everybody who marched with him take a pledge, meditate daily on the, teaches, uh, on the teachings and the life of Jesus. I haven't seen Jesus in what he would do on a talk show on Fox, but I'm gonna try. This is going to be a quick hike. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, let's get him to the top. This president, I think, has exposed himself as a guy over and over and over again who has a deep-seated hatred for white people. <laughs> oh! Well, don't worry, Glenn. You still have all summer to get there, and the weather's fantastic. <laughs> now, of course, I might not get there with you because I believe the Emmys are that weekend, and I've got to keep my eyes on the prize. But we cannot wait to watch your journey. We can't wait to hear your plan. Or as I'm sure Glenn himself would say, I just can't wait to Thanks for listening, everyone. So this, uh, so the end of this show is just jam-packed with people I want to thank. So we're going to get started right away and uh, and go go with the basics first. Of course, I want to thank a couple of members. Members make the show possible in the most fundamental way. Uh, of course, I want to thank people every single show. 
to show how much I appreciate that. Uh, so Louise P signed up back on uh, January 13th and has been uh, making his monthly donations ever since. Huge thanks to uh, Louise for sticking with the show. And uh, and then Donald O signed up more recently on April 11th. And Donald is actually one of the ones, you know, I like to make a point of thanking those who go above and beyond because, you know, obviously they've earned it by uh, supporting the show as much as they have. So huge thanks to both of these members and all the members who collectively make this show possible. Now I want to move on and thank all the people who donated to help me get to the, the two big liberal conferences happening this summer. Just a quick background on that story from beginning to end is uh, two big conferences, one in D.C., one in Las Vegas, the first in June, second in July. Uh, you know, the conferences, they, they cost money to get into. Of course, they cost money to get to them, you know, plane tickets, that sort of thing. Uh, and then hotel rooms while you're there and all that. So the goal was to raise $1,000, which would help pay the way to both of the conferences, $1,000, two conferences. So the update is we didn't raise $1,000, but I cut off the fundraising early because we'd raised enough to get me to one. And then the big Netroots Nation scholarship came into play. So I was very excited to be able to take advantage of that. So just first, huge thanks to everyone who who donated, you know, five or 10 bucks or you know however much. It all added up to, to enough to get me to the uh, America's Future Now conference in Washington, D.C. So I'm very excited about that. But now, speaking of the Netroots Nation uh, scholarship program, I'm very excited to say that, you know, prospects are looking very good, that uh, I will be able to win that scholarship. Thanks again entirely to you guys, uh, except this time not for donating anything, just for taking a minute of time, going to my website, clicking through on a little banner, and then adding your name uh, to, to support my candidacy for for that so um so huge thanks to everyone who who did that you know it's all adding up and um and we're right there in in the top of the runnings uh, to win that scholarship and then beyond all the people who uh, voted some of you even took the time to to write a nice little note you know either about the show or me or both so you know huge thanks to all those and i just you know a few of them caught my eye i, I tried to read through all of them and a few caught my eye i wanted to mention um the, the, the note from Sydney H struck a chord with me because because they said that uh, that my show basically helps their uh, their pizza delivery job more bearable you know it makes their, makes their job a little more bearable which I loved because it gives me an excuse to tell this story that some people know the moment when they realized that they should get involved in politics. And my moment happened while working as a p- pizza delivery driver. The very first time I ever turned on political talk radio was, you know, during one of those nights uh, driving around delivering pizzas. And I remember really distinctly that I, I turned on uh, the radio and I turned on Laura Ingram and she was talking about uh, a rally that had either happened that day or really recently uh, in Washington, D.C. It was a pro-choice rally. And she said, you know, looking, I guess she was watching a video of it and looking at all, all the mothers who had brought their daughters to this pro-choice rally. And what she said was, isn't this disgusting? I can't believe that these women would do this and bring their daughters to a rally like this. Because, you know, as we know, if all of these women had gotten their way, None of those little girls would have ever existed. And I heard that and I thought, you know, I was whatever I was, like 
18, 19 years old at the time, uh, maybe older, maybe 20s. And, uh, and I, I heard that and I was astonished at how uh, stupid that was. I mean, just like really, really fundamentally stupid. And I was like, you know, I don't, like, I'm not that involved in politics. I'm not like up on all the issues. I didn't really know what was going on in the world yet. Um, but I knew that that was astonishingly wrong. And so I wondered if, if she was so stupid as to believe what she was saying, or if she just had an audience that was so stupid that they believed what she was saying. And so she would say, you know, radical things like that to get them excited. And so, so that was my first experience uh, as a pizza driver. And I was pretty much hooked after that. You know, for a while, I, it, it was, um, you know, it was kind of like watching a, a train wreck, listening to right-wing talk radio every once in a while. You know, I, I didn't do it a lot. But just, you know, if I wanted to see what stupid thing was being said, I, I would turn it over to that. And then a few months later, Air America showed up in, in my town. So that, that kind of saved the day for me. And then, the, so there were a couple more. I want to read a couple more uh, things that, that people wrote in that, that I thought were nice. Now, a lot of people said something along the lines of, uh, you know, no one is better deserving than, than Jay to get this scholarship, which I really appreciate. I mean, it's a really, really nice thing to say, so thanks to everyone who wrote that. But the one that stuck out that I really enjoyed, Jerry, who, who wrote in, not many better candidates than Jay. <laughs> I thought that was great, because, uh, you know, very nice and supportive, but also a little more honest than, than the others. Uh, and then finally, I just, I had to throw this in, because uh, if you get this reference then you'll know why i had to mention it and if you don't get it that means that you're probably not between the ages of uh you know 25 and 35 or so uh so, someone just wrote in uh, commenting about the show it's better than bad it's good so that that absolutely struck a chord with me uh hearkening back to my childhood so if you're around my age then uh you know there's a fair to decent chance that uh, that you got that reference and will appreciate it Finally, uh, I just want to say that, again, as I've been mentioning, uh, I will be attending the uh, conference in D.C. It's from June 7th to 9th, and uh, since there will be a lot of people there, a lot of uh, liberals attending the conference, maybe some of you will, will make it, uh, I just want to say again that there will be uh, most likely a listener meetup of some sort, details to be ironed out later. So if you want to be kind of tuned in on, uh, on that deal, you know, if any uh, events or actions are happening that uh, I will be notifying you about. I will mention it on the show, of course, but the show only comes out every couple of days. If you want the up-to-the-minute details, you can follow on uh, Twitter or Facebook. Or, as I've been saying, you can actually just send me an email and say, hey, I want to be, you know, I'll be in D.C., let me know what's going on. But that leads me to say that I'm moving to Chicago next month but I, I took a little trip there to find a place to live first. And so while I was there, I wanted to do a listener meetup. So I mentioned it on the show, put it on Facebook and Twitter and all those sorts of things. And it was kind of a last minute idea. So I thought, oh, you know, if a couple of people show up, I'll count that as a win. And so I was excited to, to find out that four people showed up. So it was, you know, a nice intimate little uh, gathering, but we had lots of fun. Uh, and so I, I mentioned that on the show that it was going to happen, but I never mentioned that it did happen and that I met people and just wanted to say uh, thanks to those who came out. It was a fun time. Great to meet you guys. Uh, Keith, Tara, Layton, and Nathan all came out. And this is absolutely true. I did not have to look up your names in order to recite them here on the show. I actually remember you guys. 
So there we go. Loads of people to thank, but finally exhausted the list. Uh, so that's going to be it for today. I uh, certainly hope that you'll all continue to support the show just by telling uh, friends and neighbors about it. That makes a huge difference, just expanding the audience and the reach of the program. To stay connected to the show between episodes or to even help spread the word online, visit us on uh, Twitter and Facebook for details about the show itself, including links to all the sources and all the music used in the show. All those are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month now, thanks entirely to the support of the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every thing. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.